0: The Finding Holy Podcast is where Ashley Hales sits down with authors, pastors, activists, and artists to help you connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. And you'll get to hear everyone's laundry routines. To listen to the Finding Holy Podcast, go to aahales.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts.
2: Among the many vices that are universally practiced in the world, there is none more base nor common than ingratitude.
3: Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. This sermon is preached by Samuel Davies in colonial America in the 1750s or maybe the early 1760s, but mid-1700s is where we're
1: at. Joel, this sermon is all about how much God has done for us and how ungrateful we are to everything in our lives. And even when things are going badly for us, we forget to thank God, especially for everything going well. This sermon is really a refreshing reminder for me. It was kind of like this came right at the time I needed to interact with it. Uh, And the actual man, Samuel Davies, is this incredible character from church history. I feel like I've been lacking. I really wish I had known about this guy earlier. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones described Samuel Davies as the greatest preacher America ever produced. And yet, if I'm honest, I hadn't really heard of him until we started working on this episode. Samuel Davies is born in New Jersey in 1723. He came from a humble
3: background. He described his father as a simple farmer from Delaware. His mom and dad could not give him a formal education, but they did everything they could to get him into a good church. When he was nine, his mother took him to a Presbyterian church that would have future roots in the Great Awakening. From what I can tell, he doesn't have any brothers or sisters, and he got his name Samuel because his mother prayed that God would give her a
1: son many times, and so when she did have a boy, she named him Samuel. At 17, he began to go to school to learn uh, religious studies. Now, studying religion back then was, was different and difficult for him. In Virginia, Uh, During that time, the entire state was kind of under the Church of England, and breaking from that state religion was illegal. There's this story of these guys who stopped going to the Anglican church, and the governor was actually calling them basically to court to explain, explain yourselves, what are you doing here? This left a deep impression on Samuel Davies when he was older. Uh, He had a hard time getting schooling. Some people said he basically had to get charity from other churches in the area to help him out, uh, and they kept having to pay for out-of-state speakers to come and kind of preach in this area since he being a Presbyterian and they they weren't really allowed. It it was a very difficult time for these people. The America we know of today with the freedom of religion didn't uh, exist back then, really, And when Samuel Davies got older, he was one of the things he would really push on the people of Virginia was, was that idea of the freedom of religion, that states should not force one specific religion down over another. And a lot of that idea that we still carry over today actually comes from this guy and his experiences of not being able to get the education and the teaching that he needed.
3: Yeah, this got him the nickname the Apostle of Dissent. Davies also struggled with illness a lot of his life, usually tuberculosis, and he would actually only end up living to be 38 years old. He spent most of his life in Hanover County, and as he lived there in Hanover County, he would go to and head up several meeting houses across five different counties. Some of these meetings that he would lead would be more than 40 miles away from each other. Troy, I actually did uh, some research this is 1700s, mid 1700s. Okay. Guess how long it would take
1: someone to ride 40 miles in a carriage. You know I'm actually really excited to do this cuz I didn't know you did this. How Okay. I'm going to throw it out there and this I have no idea. Wait, 2 hours? Seven hours. Oh, my goodness. Seven
3: hours that's for crazy.
1: for your average
3: carriage. I don't know. He might have been on a horse. I imagine him in a carriage because I imagine, like, maybe he's traveling with his wife or maybe he has someone yeah. with him. It'd probably be a bit faster on a horse. But, I mean, that's a full day's journey. Yeah, no kidding. To get to
1: one of these places you're speaking at. So funny because, obviously, today we can knock 40 miles out in 30 but, minutes. Yeah,
3: super easy. So, you can see how this would be really exhausting. This is kind of a common thing we see with a lot of pastors from this era is they are so driven to spread the gospel and to grow as many people as they can and to help as many people as they can grow that they often kind of overwork
1: themselves and and become exhausted he was considered uh, an amazing preacher too. His speech was seen as just really highly skilled. A man named Patrick Henry, and he would go on to be very famous in the Revolutionary War for the line, give me liberty or give me death. Um, and he he was considered a really good speaker himself. When they asked uh, Patrick Henry, you know, where'd you learn to be such a good speaker? He was like, oh, everything I learned was in church watching Samuel Davies. That guy, he was the real speaker. Uh, his speaking in sermons was so powerful that the Anglican bishop of Virginia was starting to complain to the, his superiors that his attendance was dropping and it was due to all the different churches that Samuel Davies was running. I can't keep people in the doors. They're all going to one of his many different churches in all these different counties. It's important to know that though he that though had this really successful ministry and honestly a pretty short life, not everything went well for him. There's especially this one uh, tragic moment in his family life that we have to kind of turn to and look at for a moment.
3: Yeah, his very first evangelistic trip, he preached across 60 miles of the country and reached every church in the area, and it took him months. And when he returned, he was exhausted and sick, and it was just in time for him to spend a bit of time with his pregnant wife before she would die and so tragically that his wife and his unborn child uh, would pass away and all while he is he is very sick and so he can't really handle funeral preparations or anything very well himself so really just a tragic thing to think about and also during this whole time he's being persecuted for not being an anglican and this would go on until the french and indian war
1: During the French and Indian War, uh, he he really encouraged the people of Virginia to sign up and help their country. He he was so good at encouraging uh, patriotism for the young colonies in the fight that the Anglican Church was actually kind of told, or at least they realized, we need to stop it. This guy is doing something good for the country, and we're not going to stand in the way of that just because we disagree with him here, because we we need you know he's doing the part of getting people to sign up. He eventually would move on and become the president of Princeton, and he would then go on to die at 38. It's really interesting to note, we talked about his family life, and it's a bit of a sad, tragic story there, but I thought this was cool that the last class that he saw graduate had his son, one of his other children that had survived, uh, had his son there, and this son would actually eventually go on to be the chaplain to the U.S. House of Representatives, one of the very first ones they ever had at the very you know early start of the country. We left out a lot, and I feel like this happened to us a lot lately, but we don't like to do it, but there's just controversial parts, interesting parts of a story, just a lot of things there that we hope to cover in a future episode, and I promise we aren't hiding it from you. You can go do the research yourself, and we will get to it, but for now, I think it was really important to show you the sad parts, show you the interesting parts, and then now we're going to hear from him why we are honestly too ungrateful for God and need to be more grateful for all the good things God has done for us.
2: Hezekiah's heart was proud. He did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. 2 Chronicles 32, 25 Among the many vices that are at once universally decried and universally practiced in the world, there is none more base nor common than ingratitude. Ingratitude, towards the supreme benefactor, ingratitude is the sin of individuals, of families, of churches, of kingdoms, and even all mankind. The guilt of ingratitude lies heavily upon the whole race of men, but few of them feel and lament about it. I have felt it lately with unusual weight. If the plague of an ungrateful heart must pressure us while in this world of sin and imperfection, let us at least lament it. Let us bear witness against it. Let us condemn ourselves for it, and let us do all we can to suppress it in ourselves. I feel myself as it were, aspirated and full of indignation against it and against myself as guilty of it and the bitterness of my spirit. I will desire to expose it to your view in its proper infernal colors as an object of horror and indignation. None of us can flatter ourselves that we are in little or no danger of this sin? When even so good and great a man as Hezekiah did not escape the infection, in the memoirs of his life, which are famed for piety, zeal for reformation, victory over his enemies, glory and importance at home and abroad, it was sadly recorded of him, Hezekiah's heart was proud. And he did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Many had been the blessings and deliverances of this good man's life. I will only comment on two recorded in this chapter. The Assyrians had overrun a great part of the country and intended to lay siege to Jerusalem. Their haughty king, who carried away all before him and was insolent with success, sent Hezekiah a blasphemous letter to intimidate him and his people. He profanely bullies and defies Hezekiah and his God together, and his messenger comments upon his master's letter in the same style of impiety and insolence. But here observe the pointed power of prayer. Hezekiah isaiah and no doubt many other pious people among the jews made their prayer to the lord god of israel as it were complained to him of the threatening and profane blasphemy of the assyrian monarch jehovah hears and works a miraculous deliverance for them that night the angel of the lord went out to the assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian troops. Sennacherib, with the thin remains of his army, retreated home inglorious, and his two sons assassinated him at an idolatrous altar. And so Jerusalem was freed from danger, and the country rescued from slavery and the ravages of war. And we find from secular history that this dreadful blow proved fatal to the outcome of the Assyrian kingdom, which had oppressed the world so long. For upon this the Medes and afterwards other nations threw off their submission, and the empire fell to pieces. Certainly so illustrious a deliverance, as this brought about immediately by the divine hand, was a sufficient reason for ample and earnest gratitude. Another deliverance followed this one. Hezekiah was sick and approaching death. That is, his sickness was in its own nature mortal and would have brought about death had it not been for the miraculous interruption from providence. But upon his prayer to God, he recovered, and 15 years was added to his life. This was also a great cause of gratitude And we find it had this effect upon him, while the sense of his deliverance was fresh upon his mind. For in his thankful song upon his recovery, we find these grateful lines. Only the living can praise you as I do today. Each generation can make known your faithfulness to the next. Think of it. The Lord has healed me. I will sing his praises with instruments every day of my life in the temple of the Lord. Isaiah thirty eight, nineteen, twenty. But no, these grateful impressions wore off in some time and pride that monstrous tempter began to rise. He began to think himself the favorite of heaven. In some degree, on account of his own personal goodness, he indulged his vanity in exposing his treasures to the Babylonian messengers, which was the instance of selfish pride and ingratitude, which here seems particularly referred to. This pride and ingratitude pass not without evidences of the divine displeasure. For we are told Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him. Therefore the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. As the crime was not particular to him, so neither is the punishment. Nations and Individuals have suffered in this matter from age to age, and under the guilt of it, we and our country are now languishing. In order to make you the more sensible of your ingratitude towards your divine benefactor, I will give you a brief view of his mercies towards you and expose the aggravated baseness of ingratitude under the reception of so many mercies. Mercy has poured in upon you, upon all sides, and followed you from the first commencement of your existence. Rich, various, free, repeated, uninterrupted mercy. The blessings of a body wonderfully and fearfully made, complete in all its parts, and not monstrous in any. The blessings of a rational Immortal soul preserved in the exercise of sound reason for so many years amid all those accidents that have shattered it in others and capable of the exalted pleasure of religion and the everlasting enjoyment of the blessed God, the supreme good, the blessing of a large and spacious world prepared and furnished for our accommodation, illuminated with an illustrious sun and the many luminaries of the sky, the earth enriched and adorned with trees, vegetables, various sorts of grain, and animals for our support and convenience. The sea, a way of extensive trade, and an inexhaustible store of fish, the blessing of the early care of parents and friends to provide for us in the helpless days of our infancy, and direct or restrain us in the giddy, foolish years of youth, the blessings of being born in the mature age of the world, when the improvements of civilization are carried to so high a degree of perfection, the blessing of being born not among the lost in the wilderness, but a humanized, civilized country, not in the burning Sandy deserts of an inhospitable zone, and not under the frozen sky of Greenland or Iceland, but in a temperate climate as favorable to the comfort and continents as life is most countries upon the earth, not in a barren soil scarcely affording food of the worst type for its inhabitants, but in a land of unusual plenty which has never felt the severities of famine. The blessing of not being a race of slaves under the tyranny and tyrannical government, but free-born Britons and Americans in a land of liberty. These birthright blessings are almost particular to us and our nation. Let me enumerate also the blessings of a good education. Good at least when compared to the many lost nations of the earth. The blessing of health for months and years. The blessing of clothing suited to the various seasons of the year, the blessing of rain from heaven and fruitful seasons of summer and winter of seed time and harvest, the agreeable way of night and day, the refreshing rest of sleep, and the activity and enjoyment of our waking hours, the blessing of a refined society, the blessing of the most endearing relationships, The blessings included in the tender names of friends, husband or wife, parent or child, brother or sister. The blessing of peace, peace in the midst of a peaceful country, which has been our happy lot until recent years. In short, blessings as numerous as our moments, as long continued as our lives. Blessings, personal and relative, public and private, for while we have the air to breathe in, the earth to tread upon, or a drop of water to quench our thirst, we must own we are not left with no blessings from God. From God all these blessings originally flow, and to him we are obliged for them. Indeed, they are conveyed to us by means of our fellow creatures, or they seem to be spontaneous productions of natural causes, acting according to the established laws of nature. But then it was God, the fountain of being and of all good, who gave our fellow creatures the inclination, the ability, and the opportunity of conveying these blessings to us. And it is the great God who is the author of those causes which spontaneously produce so many blessings for our enjoyment and of those laws of nature according to which they act. They are but channels, channels cut by his hand, and he is the source of all our blessings. He is the ocean of blessings. Creatures are but the hands which distribute his charity through a needy world but his is the storehouse from which they derive their supplies. On this account, we should receive all these blessings as gifts from God and feel ourselves obliged to him as the supreme original benefactor. Therefore, let God be acknowledged the supreme and original benefactor of the world and the proper author of all our blessings, And let all of his creatures, in the height of their benevolence and usefulness, know that they are but the distributors of his money or the instruments of conveying the gifts of his hand. Let us acknowledge the light of the sun, the breath that now moves our lungs and fans the vital flame, the glowing plenty that is now bursting its way through the dirt of the earth, the water that bubbles up in springs that flows in streams and rivers, or rolls large in the ocean. Let us own, I say, all these are the bounties of his hand, who supplies with good the various ranks of being, as high as the most exalted angel. And as low as the young ravens and the grass of the field, let him stand as the acknowledged benefactor of the universe to inflame the gratitude of all to him, or to array in the chrism colors of aggravated guilt the ingratitude of those sordid, stupid wretches who still continue to be unthankful. The positive blessings I have briefly enumerated have some of them been interrupted at times. But even the interruption seemed only intended to make way for some deliverance, a deliverance that reawakens us to the possession of our former blessings, where the new and stronger relish and teaches us some useful lessons which We were not only likely to learn, had not our enjoyment been a while in suspense, this very hour, let us turn our eyes backward and take a review of a length of 10, 20, 40, or 60 years. And what a series of deliverances rises upon us, deliverance from the many dangers of childhood by which many have lost their limbs and many their lives. Deliverances from many threatening and fatal accidents. Deliverances from exquisite pain and from dangerous diseases. Deliverances from the gates of death and the mouth of the grave. And deliverances for yourselves and for your dear families and friends. When sickness, like a destroying angel, has entered your neighborhood and made extensive havoc and desolation around you, You and yours have escaped the infection while you were every day in anxious expectation of the dreadful visit and trembling at the dubious fate of some dear relative of your own. Or if it has entered your house like a messenger of death, it has not committed its usual ravages in them, or if it has, torn from your hearts, one or more members of your family, still you have some left, or perhaps some new members added to make up the loss. When you have been in deep distress, covered with the most tremendous glooms, deliverance has dawned in the most seasonable hour, and light and joy have followed the nights of darkness and melancholy. In short, your deliverances have been endless and innumerable. You appear this day as so many monuments of delivering goodness. You have also shared in the deliverances brought for your country and nation in former and latter times. Deliverances from the open violence and secret plots and insurrections of enemies abroad and traitors and rebels at home. Deliverances from the united efforts of both to enslave us to civil or religious tyranny, or a mixture of both, and deliverances from drought and the threatening appearances of famine, which we have so lately experienced in these parts. And yet, they are long enough past to be generally forgotten. In these instances of deliverance, as well as in the former of positive blessings, Let the great God be acknowledged as the original cause. Despite whatever creatures he is pleased to make use of as his instruments, fortuitous accidents are under his direction. Diseases are his servants, his soldiers, and he sends them out or recalls them according to his pleasure. What returns has this divine benefactor received from you for all of this goodness? Oh, the discovery that this inquiry will make, may convict, shock, confound, and mortify us all. For we are all in a great degree guilty in this respect, guilty of the vilest ingratitude. Are there not many of you who do not return to God, the ingratitude of a dog to his master, That brute animal who receives but crumbs and discipline from you will welcome you home with a thousand fond and loving motions. The very dull ox you raise knows his owner. But, oh, the more than brutal ingratitude of reasonable creatures. Some of you perhaps do not so much as acknowledge the agency of divine providence in these enjoyments. But affecting a very foolish infidelity under the name of philosophy, you make natural causes, the authors of all good to you. Without the agency of the first mover of all the springs of nature, some others who may be orthodox in your faith. As to this point, yet are practical infidels the most absurd and inconsistent sort in the world. That is, while you certainly acknowledge and theoretically believe the agency of divine providence in these things, yet you live as, as is there no such thing. You live thoughtless of the divine benefactor and disobedient to him for days and years together. The very mercies he bestows upon you, you abuse to his dishonor by making them occasions to sin. Don't your consciences convict you of that monstrous sin, ingratitude, the most base, unnatural, and yet indulged ingratitude? Think of how much you resent it when somebody you showed kindness to should prove ungrateful and abuse you. But it is impossible for anyone to be as guilty of such erroneous ingratitude towards you as you were guilty towards God. Because it is impossible that any one of them should be as strongly obliged to you as you are to God. You children of God, his particular favorites, whose hearts are capable of and do actually feel some generous sensations of gratitude. What do you think of your conduct towards such a benefactor? I speak particularly to you, because you are the most likely to feel what I say. Have you rendered back to God according to the divine benefits done to you? Oh, aren't you mortified and shocked to reflect upon your ingratitude, your sordid, monstrous ingratitude? Don't you hate yourselves because you were capable of such evil conduct? From you, I expect a generous response, but as to the others, they are dead In transgressions and sins, dead towards God, and therefore it is no wonder if you are dead to all sincere pleadings for their ingratitude. But if all this does not do to make you sensible of your enormous guilt in this area, let me lay before you an inventory of still richer blessings. At the head of this stands Jesus Christ, the unspeakable gift of God. God so loved the world, hear it men and angels, with grateful wonder, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3:17 The comforts of this life alone would be very inadequate provisions for creatures who are to exist forever in another world for what are 60 or 70 years in comparison to the long duration of an immortal being but in the unsearchable riches of Christ are contained the most ample provisions for your mortal state jesus christ is such a gift that it draws all other gifts after it for so the apostle argues he who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us how will he not with him also freely give us all things romans eight thirty two, and the purpose for which he gave his gift, renders it as the more astonishing. He gave him not only to rule us by his power, but to purchase us with the blood of his heart. He gave him up to death, even death of the cross, in the consequence of which an economy of grace, a ministry of reconciliation is set up, In our guilty world, for your salvation, Jesus now intercedes in his native heaven at the right hand of God for your salvation. The Holy Spirit strives with you. Conscience admonishes you. Providence draws you by blessings and drives you by discipline. Angels minister to you. Bibles are put into your hands. Ministers for persuade you, friends advise you, and thousands of saints pray for you. For this end, prayer, preaching, and a great variety of means of grace are instituted. For this end, heaven is prepared and furnished with many mansions, the pearly gates open, and show their splendors from afar, to attract our eyes, and things which the eye had never seen which the ear had never heard in the heart of man had never conceived are all brought to light by the gospel. No, for this purpose, your salvation, Sinai thunders, hell roars and throws its devouring flames, even to warn a stupid world, not to plunge themselves into that place of eternal torment. In short, The kind designs of redeeming love run through the whole economy of providence towards our guilty world. Heaven and earth, and in the sense mentioned, hell itself are trying to save you. The strongholds of sin and Satan, in which you were held prisoners, are attacked in kindness to you from all sides. What strong efforts and heroic exploits of divine goodness are these? And blessed be God, these efforts are not in vain. The celestial regions are fast growing, although not as fast as the land of darkness with numerous colonies from our guilty globe. Even in these days, when iniquity abounds and the love of many becomes cold, Jesus is gaining many hearts in saving many souls in the various regions of his church though you and thousands more should be left and continue to neglect him. Yet his excellencies will not lack admirers. Such a physician will not lack employment in our dying world. No, he will see the travail of his soul and will be satisfied, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper at hand, Isaiah fifty three eleven. And I don't doubt, but there are some among you who are the trophies of his victorious love. Of his victorious love. I say it is for by the force of love that he sweetly conquers. Now you, my brethren, are the subjects of this administration of grace. With you, these means are used for your salvation. To you, Jesus is offered as a Savior, and heaven and earth are striving to lodge you safe in his arms. It is but a very small part of mankind who enjoy these great advantages for a happy immortality. You live under the gospel, while most of the nations of earth are sunk in heathen idolatry, groaning under popish tyranny, seduced by foreign gods, or hardened in Jewish law? And what obligations of gratitude result in such special distinguishing favors to you? If mere men had done good to you, then you feel the obligation. But can men, can angels, can the whole created universe bestow such gifts upon you and make such provisions for you as those which have been mentioned? Gifts of infinite value, dear to the giver. Provisions for an everlasting state, an everlasting state of complete happiness as you were created for. These are favors worthy of God. And how can God not be the object of your supreme gratitude? Can anything in the world be more reasonable? And yet... Here, O earth, with horror, be astonished, O heavens, at this. How little gratitude does God receive from our world after all? How little gratitude from you, on whom these favors are showered down with distinguished abundance. Don't many of you neglect the unspeakable gift of God, Jesus Christ, as well as that salvation which he bought with his blood. But I must now address some of you who are still more deeply obligated to your divine benefactor and whose ingratitude, therefore, is black and horrid. I mean those of you who have not only shared in the blessings and deliverance of life, and lived under the advantages of a dispensation of grace, but have experimentally known the love of God to your souls in a manner special to yourselves, and are actually entitled to all the unknown blessings prepared for those that love him. If I am so happy as to belong to your number, I am sure I am so unhappy as to share deeply with your guilt. The black guilt of ingratitude. When you were dead in transgressions and sins, God quickened you. Out of his great love with which he loved you, when you were rushing on towards destruction in the enchanting paths of sin, he checked your mad path and turned your faces heavenward. When you were sunk into sorrows, borne down with a sense of guilt, and trembling every moment with the fears of immediate execution, he relieved you, led you to Jesus, as it were, held you safe in his arms. When dismal glooms have again gathered upon your minds and overwhelming fears rushed upon you, like a deluge, he has relieved you again by leading you to the same. Almighty, ever-consistent Savior. He has met you in your retirements and allowed you to converse with him in his law. With the heart of a friend, he has, as it were, unlocked his special treasures to enrich you and give you an unshaken title to the most glorious inheritance of the saints in light. He has made you his own, his own in a special sense, his people, his friends, his very own children. You are indeed his favorites. You were even so long before time began. He loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, he has drawn you. And having loved you once, He will love you always, and he will continue in his love for all eternity. Neither life nor death, neither things present nor things to come will ever be able to separate you from his love. Romans 8, 38 and 9. His love to you is an unbounded ocean that spreads over eternity and makes it, as it were, the channel of, of the ocean of your happiness in you he intends to show all worlds what glorious creatures he can form from the dust and of the polluted fragments of degenerate human nature and now i am almost afraid to turn your thoughts to inquire what return have you made for all of these favors you know that you have a thousand times repeated hezekiah's offense Your conscience accuses you and points out the specifics, and I will only join the cry of conscience against you. Oh, the ingratitude. Oh, the base, vile, unnatural, horrid, unprecedented ingratitude. Let me now add a consideration that gives an astonishing emphasis to all that has been said. That this profusion of mercy, personal and relative, temporal and spiritual, is bestowed upon creatures that deserve not the least mercy, upon creatures that deserve to be stripped naked of every mercy, no, that deserve to be... Made miserable in time and eternity upon creatures that deserve not to breathe this vital air, to tread the ground or drink the streams that run through the wilderness, much less to enjoy all the blessings with the infinite merit of Jesus that he could purchase or the infinite goodness of God can bestow upon creatures that are so far from deserving to be delivered from the calamities of life that they deserve to have them all heightened and multiplied until they convey them to the more intolerable punishments of hell. Upon creatures that are so far from making adequate returns that they are perpetually offending their God to his face and every day receiving blessings from him and every day sinning against him. Oh, how astonishing! the wonder is pointed out by Jesus Christ himself who best knows what is truly marvelous. The Most High God says he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked, Luke 6.35. Your heavenly Father makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the just and the unjust Matthew 5.45, it need not surprise you if the subject so overwhelms me as to disable me from making an application of it. I leave you to your own thoughts upon it, and I am apt to think they will force you to cry out in a voice with me, "Oh, the amazing, horrid, evil, unbelieving, ingratitude of man! And oh, the amazing, free, rich, overflowing, infinite, unprecedented goodness of God. Let these two miracles be the wonder of the whole universe. One prayer, and I am done. May our divine benefactor, among his other blessings, bestow upon us that of a Thankful heart and enable us to give sincere, fervent, and perpetual praise to His name through Jesus Christ, His unspeakable gift. Amen.
1: The sermon really makes you think about how many things God has done for us, how just if you're breathing, if you're listening to this episode in your ears right now, you clearly have some way of listening. That's a technology, a piece of something He God has blessed you with. You have been blessed with the ability to understand what I'm saying. You've been blessed with the intelligence to be able to think about these things. You've been blessed with life. You've been blessed with as many years as you are currently alive. I mean, you have so many things and so many opportunities God has given you. He he also kind of makes you think about how many people have you met in your life that have done something good for you along the way. This sermon, I said in the beginning, kind of came to me at the right time. It's really easy to get in your head or be thinking about all the negative stuff going on, all the things you wish you had other people have, all the mistakes, all these things like that that just weigh you down and Davies just uh, the life that he lived losing his wife and his son all the challenges he did and yet he's looking at his life and going I'm not being grateful to God enough and I think that challenged me to remind me that look life may not be going perfect or in every way the way I want it to but I definitely need to be grateful to God for just the many things he has blessed me with
3: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revive Thons. Today's episode was narrated by Mark Andrews. Mark
1: Andrews is a Bible fellowship teacher at Shawnee Bible Church. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Revive Thoughts, and if you are not currently following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we really think it's a good idea that you be in that lane and, and be following us there. We put out more information, more details, more thoughts. We connect with you guys and talk with you guys there, and we and we love having those conversations and seeing those comments and likes. Uh, we would love to continue that, and if you ever want to message us, you have a question for us or something that's on your mind, you can find us and hit us there, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or on email at thoughts at gmail.com, and we really really enjoy interacting with you guys and we really appreciate that aspect of our audience this is Troy and Joel and this is Revive Thoughts
0: I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And if you did, I'd like to also invite you over to the Finding Holy podcast where Ashley Hales sits down with authors, pastors, activists, and artists to help you connect the dots between things that really matter in issues of faith and your everyday holy life. You'll even get to hear about the laundry routines. Go to aahales.com slash podcast or listen to the Finding Holy podcast wherever you choose to listen to your shows.